welcome to this week's episode of Ask the RD with your hosts Laura Schoenfeld and Kelsey Mark Steiner, staff nutritionists at chriscresser.com. Laura has a master's degree in public health nutrition and will soon be a registered dietitian. And Kelsey is a registered dietitian with a master's degree in human nutrition and functional medicine. Laura and Kelsey will be answering your nutrition related questions on the show. So remember, to submit your questions through the online submission link at chriscresser.com. Now before Laura and Kelsey come on the show, I want to remind you that this show is just general advice and it should not be used in place of medical advice from a licensed professional. Now let's begin. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Ask the RD. I'm Laura, I have a master's in public health nutrition from I'm sorry, UNC Chapel Hill and I'll have my RD at the end of 2013. And I'm Kelsey, a registered dietitian with a master's in nutrition and functional medicine. Thanks for joining us for this week's Ask the RD podcast. We're excited to be here and we hope that you'll enjoy learning about nutrition-related topics. Remember to submit your nutrition-related questions through the online submission form, which we've linked to on Chris's site. We'll be answering your questions on the show, so feel free to submit as many as you'd like. And as a reminder to everyone, this is just general advice and should not be used in place of medical advice from a licensed professional. So you ready to get started with our podcast, Kelsey? Yeah, and this first question is for you, Laura. Okay. I've been doing paleo for 12 years and take magnesium supplements as well as some others, but I still get some cramps in my legs and feet every so often, even when just walking around the house. I'm wondering if I'm not absorbing the magnesium well. Thanks. Okay, so first I just want to give a little disclaimer if my voice cracks. As you might have seen in the, in the intro, I was up kind of late watching the uh, BCS Bowl last night, so <laughs> I'm a little sore throat this morning, but uh, I'll do my best to, to plow through this question. Okay, so I do think this is a really good question because it's a common problem for people that are new to paleo, and muscle cramps are generally caused by an imbalance of electrolytes such as potassium, calcium, magnesium, or sodium, and this can be from dietary deficiency, illness, or excessive exercise, which are the most common reasons. However, muscle cramps can also be caused by a number of other problems as well. And when I was doing some research, I came up with a list of all of, well, at least when I did the research, all of the issues I found that can cause muscle cramping. And this includes sitting or standing in one position for too long, certain medications, anemia, inactivity, fibro fibromyalgia, hormone imbalances, allergies, arthritis, atherosclerosis, dehydration, hypothyroidism, varicose veins, and ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. So you can yeah. <laughs> so you can see that there are many different factors that could be playing into this particular person's cramps. However, I'm going to focus on the most common treatments that should be tried first if people are suffering from frequent cramps since any of those conditions could be affecting anyone and I, I, you know there's too many different things to kind of go into all of the details but I'll give recommendations for the general population what they can do with if they're getting cramps. So the first thing you need to do is ensure that you're getting enough calcium and magnesium and calcium can actually be quite hard to get enough of if dairy is not on the menu and most people aren't eating bone-in fish on a regular basis which is another really good source of calcium. And personally, I don't believe that bone broth is a good enough source of calcium to rely on it to meet your daily needs. So if you do a diet analysis and you see you're not getting enough calcium, and by enough I mean 600 milligrams per day as a minimum, you can use supplements. 
And the same thing goes for, for magnesium, which is difficult to get solely from food, and not to mention our modern lifestyle causes us to, to need more of it. So that could be anything from drinking caffeinated beverages to staying up too late like I did last night or <laughs> being stressed. So magnesium can actually be a maintenance supplement for anyone, but particularly those that have muscle cramps. So if you have cramps, I do suggest using chelated forms of either both of these minerals or use bone meal powder for your calcium and specifically magnesium malate if you're going to supplement with magnesium since the malate form has been shown to be especially helpful for muscle cramps. And the reason I like bone meal powder is because it's one of the most natural sources of calcium and it does contain other minerals as well. So if you're supplementing with calcium, I suggest trying to get about 600 to 800 milligrams per day separated in, into at least two doses. And you can take at least 400 milligrams of magnesium and should probably aim for more like 800 milligrams per day of magnesium. Calcium supplements can be dangerous for people who are deficient in the fat-soluble vitamins A, D, and K2. And vitamin D is needed to absorb calcium that you take orally. So make sure you're either getting sunlight or getting the, the fat-soluble vitamins from a supplement if you're in a cold climate. K2 can come from grass-fed dairy, natto, fermented foods, and I, as I mentioned, supplements. And vitamin A is high in liver and egg yolks, but you can also just take a maintenance dose of these three vitamins if you're concerned about your dietary intake or sun exposure. And also, taking warm magnesium salt baths can be helpful for people with cramping. If you only get them in your feet, you can soak your feet in hot water with Epsom salts, or you can add Epsom salts to a whole bath and soak your body. And I think this is a good habit to get into no matter what your health situation, but for people with muscle cramps, it could be especially helpful. So for this person asking this question, I'd be curious to know what type of magnesium he or she is taking, and if it is the malate form versus, um, you know, magnesium citrate or whatever other type of magnesium supplements that are out there. So definitely try to get the malate or another chelated form if, if you are taking a different type of magnesium. So next you need to consider your salt intake. And many people who switch to a whole foods paleo diet tend to drop their sodium intake kind of significantly. And this is okay for some people, but other people may not hold on to salt very well. Or they may sweat a lot while exercising, and that means they might be losing salt more rapidly than the average person. So be sure you're salting your food to taste if you get muscle cramps, especially if you're a highly active person. And along with additional salt, make sure you're drinking enough water throughout the day because de dehydration can cause cramping as well. So make it a point to drink a glass of water every three hours or so during the day. And if you're really active and sweat a lot during the day, I would even recommend rehydrating with something like pickle or sauerkraut juice. And I know that sounds really gross, <laughs> but as some people, as some football fans may know, that's the actually the original Gatorade is pickle juice. Right. And so it's really good for replenishing sodium and other electrolyte, electrolytes, I'm sorry, <laughs> other <laughs> electrolytes. And plus you get the benefit of probiotics and sulfur if you use the sauerkraut juice. So sometimes if I've had a, a hard workout and I, I'm like a crazy sweater, so getting electrolyte replenishment is really important for me. And sometimes I'll just drink sauerkraut juice because it has that salt and it has lots right, of other good compounds. It's got a ton of great stuff for you. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, it's not the most delicious flavor necessarily, <laughs> but if you like sauerkraut, it's actually possibly good. So, you know, maybe you can dilute it with water if you don't want to just drink it straight out of the, the jar, but I think it's a really good 
drink to drink if you're a, like a, an athlete or someone that sweats a lot while you're exercising. Yeah, I make like a homemade Gatorade, not pickle juice Gatorade, but you know, new Gatorade where I just put salt, um, lemon juice, and a little bit of honey and mix that with some water. And it, you know, it's pretty good. Nice. And if you're someone who sweats a lot like you, Laura, you know, that might be a good, good option as well. Yeah. So, I mean, if I don't kind of pay attention to my salt intake and I'm exercising a lot, I, I do get like Charlie horses sometimes. Mm. Not not lately, but in the past I used to get them. So um, I found that the magnesium helped a lot, but I'm sure the salt makes a big difference as well if you're, if you're a sweaty Betty like me. <laughs> but anyway, so potassium is actually another important mineral that you need to consider. And it is possible that people eating a low-carb paleo diet aren't getting enough potassium because they're avoiding starchy plants that are high in potassium like white potatoes or bananas. And there are lower-carb foods like spinach, avocado, acorn squash, salmon, and mushrooms that have high amounts of potassium in them. So if you absolutely can't add stuff like white potatoes or bananas for whatever reason, just make sure you're getting enough of those other potassium-rich foods. Um, potassium supplementation is kind of a touchy subject so that's one of those things that I'd you know I'd rather people just get potassium from food since it's right you know a little bit easier to go overboard with potassium supplements and they can be contraindicated with certain medications and there are some herbs that have been used for muscle cramps and I'm not going to go into all the different options here because people can look them up on the internet if they're interested in going that route one recommendation I came across that sort of falls into the food category is something called cramp bark tea so that could be helpful in reducing cramps if you're already doing all of the other things I recommended. This tea is not appropriate if you're pregnant and check with your doctor before drinking it, especially if you're on any medications. Other potentially useful herbs are meadowsweet, valerian, and skullcap. And these can come in tea form as well, but again, check with your doctor before taking them. And on that note, any of the supplements I listed above should actually be discussed with your doctor, especially if you're on medications. So one last thing I'd like to mention is that there are a lot of anecdotal reports of muscle cramping on low-carbohydrate diets, and there are a few different theories out there about why this might happen. I've seen some people say that low-carb diets cause excessive magnesium loss. Other people say that low-carb diets tend to be low in calcium, so that could be the major cause. Another issue is that a common side effect of ketosis is actually dehydration because it has a diuretic effect right. when your body's trying to get rid of those ketones. So people that are on a very low-carb diet may need to work on drinking more water even if they're not necessarily thirsty. And even low blood sugar can cause muscle cramping. So if you're on a very low-carb diet, perhaps adding some extra carbohydrates in, particularly before bedtime or after a strenuous workout, this could help with cramping as well. And Chris did talk about nighttime cramps in a podcast. I guess it's a few months old, but we'll link to it in the show notes. And he said in this podcast that in his experience, the most common perpetrators of cramping is either iron deficiency or excess magnesium deficiency, potassium deficiency or imbalance, B12 deficiency, sodium imbalance or dehydration, low blood sugar or elevated blood sugar, 
And he talks about the suggestions in that podcast, so I suggest you listen to it. And as you can see, a lot of them are the ones I've already discussed. Yeah, and I would say, you know, if you're if you're not sure what your blood sugar levels are like, that's probably a good thing to check, and you can check that at home. Even you just buy a glucometer, and like you know, like he said, is that low blood sugar can definitely lead to those cramps. So if you've if you have the experience, if you experience some symptoms of low blood sugar. Like, you know, feeling very cranky before you eat, um, feeling like a completely different person after you eat, then you may, you know, that that to me suggests low blood sugar and you may want to check out what your blood sugar levels are like when you're getting those cramps specifically too. Right. Okay, well, those are the major recommendations I have for cramping. Um, Like I said, there is a lot of different options out there, a lot of different herbal remedies, a lot of different supplements that people recommend, but I really think it's important to make sure you're covering the bases of what I mentioned in, you know, in this answer. So, you know, calcium and magnesium really are the main two minerals that people need to make sure they're getting enough of, salting your food to taste, eating potassium-rich vegetables, and replacing electrolytes if you're sweating a lot or if you're highly active, because sometimes people that are active don't realize that they're losing a lot of liquid if they're, you know, not dripping with sweat at the end of their workout like I do so <laughs> now everyone's disgusted so uh everyone might... knows your secrets now Laura oh trust me it's it's no secret if you ever see me see me leave the gym you'll you'll know immediately that I have a sweating <laughs> problem so but I guess that's all I had to say about cramping so I don't know if you think I missed anything yeah, that, or that was perfect you know definitely those electrolyte balance the electrolyte balance is a huge huge part of that and definitely start there if if these cramps are something that you haven't really addressed with any sort of electrolyte balancing that's that's the place to go first but of course everything else you mentioned is absolutely crucial too and might want to look at those things if you've if you've tried supplementing with some you know eating more sodium getting that magnesium and still having some problems. Yeah, and I I think the calcium issue is always going to be a hot topic in paleo, mainly because some people think certain foods are adequate to get enough calcium from. There's debates about how much is enough calcium. So I've seen 600 milligrams listed as the minimum. Yeah. I mean, as you and I know, we were taught that generally around a thousand milligrams is what people should be shooting for. I mean, depending on your age and gender, but you know, that's a, that's a huge difference. So if you're getting six or 700 a day and that's not enough, but you think it's enough, then, you know, that could be leading to some problems. So yeah, it's just, and then the whole bone broth thing, I know this might be controversial, but I personally don't think that you can get adequate calcium just from bone broth. Right. Just from bone broth. I, I would, I would tend to agree with that too. Right. So unless you're eating things like bone in sa- canned salmon or bone in sardines, or I mean, even leafy greens, like you really got to be eating a lot of them to be getting enough calcium. So right. if you're not doing dairy and you're not eating a lot of bone in fish, you might want to consider the bone meal, which is basically like eating bone and fish. It's just ground up bones. So, you know, as far as calcium supplements go, I think it's one of the more natural ones and a little bit more food-based as opposed to just taking a calcium pill. Right. And yeah, there's definitely some interesting evidence about calcium supplementation. And it's personally not something that I 
recommend to my patients, at least right now. You know, I've just seen too many bad things about it. Uh, but the bone meal is interesting, and, and that to me makes perfect sense. You know, exactly what you said. It's just like eating bone and fish, except without the fish part. Right. Know, so. I mean, not that I'm saying it's a, a good substitute because bone and fish has other great things, but if you're really not going to be eating enough bone and fish or you don't like it or you can't yeah. afford it, not that bone meal is... I, I Actually, I don't think bone meal is that expensive, but it's just easy. It's like you can throw it in a smoothie or... Sorry, right. my voice is starting to crack, but um, <laughs> you can put it in... Like if you make bone broth and you want to pump up the calcium amount you can just put in like a tablespoon so it's like I just feel more comfortable with people taking something like bone meal as opposed to a calcium supplement and to be fair the calcium studies that have been done don't necessarily address things like vitamin a and vitamin k2 levels so like I said you definitely need to make sure you're getting an adequate amount of those nutrients if you're supplementing with calcium and obviously don't go above a thousand milligrams per day if you're supplementing yeah and that you know you should try to figure out how many milligrams of calcium you're getting from your food and then try to stay under a thousand milligrams with the food and the supplement combined again this is something you should probably be working with someone with if you're trying to kind of figure this out but I do think that a lot of people doing paleo may be calcium deficient but that's just my opinion (laughs) Certainly possible, especially if, yeah, if you don't have the dairy and you're not doing bone-in fish or anything like that, it's definitely possible. All right, so now that my voice is officially going out the window, maybe we should move on to your question? Sure, sounds good. All right, so this question is, I have been suffering from, oh my gosh, this is going to be a difficult word. I have been (laughs) suffering from laryngeal, oh my gosh, laryngopharyngeal, I think is... Oh, did they spell it wrong? Okay. They may have. Yeah, laryngopharyngeal reflux. Okay, because they said... Or LPR. Right. This person wrote laryngophosageal, and I'm like, I don't think that's a word. So LPR, can you you, uh, repeat what that's... Yeah, laryngopharyngeal reflux. Okay. So this person has been suffering from that for two years, and they've tried everything, A friend suggested paleo, and I have been following it for several weeks without any change in my LPR symptoms. Do you think I should continue on with paleo, or do you have any other ideas? Great, great question. So first, I want to explain a little bit about exactly what LPR is. And it's basically a type of acid reflux, and it's often called silent reflux because patients don't typically experience the classic heartburn. Rather, they'll they'll kind of get a, a sore throat or a constant sore throat and a cough or feel like there's something stuck in their throat that they can't dislodge or something like that. And it can be very, very irritating, especially since patients can feel like it's difficult to talk sometimes because their throat is so sore all the time. Either they'll wake up with a very sore throat or by the end of the day their, their throat will be really sore and they feel like they have a, a difficult time speaking because of that. So with any type of reflux, whether it's just the regular GERD or if it's something like LPR, I try a couple things. So one of the first things I always try, if they're not doing it already, is to eliminate wheat and to eat low carb. And that usually tends to be lower than 100 grams, but it depends on how many calories total that they tend to eat. For people who haven't tried doing that already, it usually makes a really big difference. And it's pretty powerful for some people to the point that that some patients experience complete relief. Though I will definitely say that that's a bit more rare, but it does, it does happen. 
even if you've stopped eating all wheat and even all grains, it's still worth trying to go lower carb as this sometimes helps beyond just doing a regular paleo diet. So I'm not sure whether this person was doing a low carbohydrate paleo diet or more of a moderate or high carbohydrate paleo diet, but if they weren't doing low carb, that's definitely something I would try. Some other dietary factors that, that may help in the short term are avoiding really large meals and going more for the small, more frequent meals. That tends to keep reflux at a more manageable level, though of course that certainly depends on the patient as well. If you're someone who has always eaten those three large meals a day, it might be worth it to try a few smaller meals throughout the day and see if that difference helps. And you might also want to do a reflux-specific elimination diet that gets sort of things like alcohol, chocolate, acidic foods like citrus or tomatoes, and very spicy foods to see if those foods trigger any of your symptoms. So that may be something that this person has already tried, but if they haven't, that would definitely be, be one of my suggestions as well. Now, some lifestyle modifications to try include reducing your stress because our digestive system is so tied to our stress level and it's really important to incorporate some type of mind-body medicine, so like meditation, tai chi, yoga, deep breathing, you know, anything you'd like, but make sure you do it on a regular basis. And that's something that I think that a lot of people with reflux, they tend to overlook. It's not something that we really connect to our digestive system because it doesn't feel like it's connected. They feel very far apart, you know, our brain and our digestive system, but they're intimately connected. And I think that this helps a lot of people, of course, along with doing some other things as well, but it's a very big, important thing to focus on, especially if you tend to be someone who's very stressed out a lot of the time. You know, this is probably something that needs to be at the top of your focus. And it's something that we very, very often overlook. So make sure you check in with yourself. And you may want to maybe keep a diary of when you're getting your reflux specifically. Um, some people, you know, they're getting it on a daily basis, but some people it's a little more rare they may not get it for one day but they'll get it the next so see when you're getting it and and try to connect that to the things that are going on in your life and see if there are any connections there if you're noticing that you're getting some reflux either at the time that you become stressed or maybe a little bit after you you've become stressed then it's a really good indication that that focusing on stress relief activities would be very beneficial for your condition another lifestyle modification is if you're overweight to lose some weight. That definitely can help to reduce the, the reflux symptoms as well. But of course, that's, that's much more of a longer term modification that we'd need to make. Now, in terms of supplements, there's plenty of things that you can try. The thing that I always recommend to start off with, with anyone with any kind of reflux, is to add in demulcent herbs like marshmallow root, slippery elm, or um, DGL which is a type of licorice. Now, these demulcent herbs, what they do is they coat, soothe, and heal the mucosal tissues, which really helps people who are suffering from reflux. And the reason I recommend these herbs is for, is for a couple reasons. One, I wanna protect that esophageal lining while we're trying to fix the issue. And also I wanna protect you know, the throat. If someone has LPR more specifically, it's the throat that is having more of the issue. 
So you don't want someone with really bad reflux burning away their esophagus as we're trying to fix the issue. We want to actually protect that lining by creating a coating, which is exactly what these herbs do. They, they make a coating that allows the acid that isn't supposed to be there to do less damage. So it kind of creates a barrier between the acid and the sensitive tissue that's not used to having acid there. Second, it helps to give them some symptom relief, which can of course make the patient happier as we're trying to figure out what's going on and trying to sort of heal those underlying factors. Nobody wants to have their esophagus or throat burning or feeling irritated all the time. It, you know, it's really not pleasant. And it also helps to heal, you know, these demulcent herbs, it helps to heal that tissue that's been damaged by the acid. So when tissue is already irritated, any acidic foods that you're gonna eat, like tomatoes or citrus, they might burn that already irritated tissue. And that's gonna definitely cause the patient to experience their symptoms. So by healing that tissue, actively healing it, making that irritated tissue, making it go back to normal, as well as creating a coating or barrier between the acid and the tissue itself, that's gonna give the person a lot of relief. It doesn't happen immediately. Sure, that coating can help somewhat, but usually it's more of a, a longer-term strategy where we're protecting and healing at the same time. So that's exactly what these demulcent herbs do, and that, that's precisely why I think they're one of, you know, usually they're my first-line treatment along with the, the dietary adjustments that I talked about before. Now, another supplement to consider is melatonin. There's a really interesting study that compared melatonin to common acid blockers, and they found that the melatonin actually tightened the uh, lower esophageal sphincter. Now, the lower esophageal sphincter is the sphincter that connects the stomach and the esophagus, and it's supposed to be closed at certain times and open up at others. And what happens with any type of reflux is that it tends to be loose meaning that it's sort of open and it allows acid to creep up into the esophagus and in some cases, like in LPR, goes all the way up to the throat where it's not meant to be. And that causes the symptoms of either heartburn or LPR where you're getting a sore throat or a cough or something like that because the acid's not meant to be there. The esophageal sphincter is supposed to keep it in the stomach where it's meant to be. So what these researchers found is that the melatonin actually tightened up that loose esophageal sphincter, which is really impressive because we don't have anything else like that that has been shown to do that. So the acid blockers, they just reduce the acid, you know, the PPIs. So we, we don't necessarily want that, actually, because some people tend to have low stomach acid to begin with. It's just that that even that minimal amount of stomach acid they're producing is getting up into the places that it's not meant to be. Melatonin, on the other hand, it didn't really affect the acid production, but in, instead it just tightened that esophageal sphincter, which allows the stomach acid to stay in the stomach where it's supposed to be, rather than creeping up into the esophagus and the throat. So honestly, I think there needs to be more research on this. You know, this is just one study that I've, that I've seen. We, we don't know if people have to supplement this with this forever to maintain the, those results or if it actually fixes the issue. And it would be really interesting to find out. I think, I don't remember how long the study was, but it wasn't particularly long. But it's, it's certainly promising. And it's something that, you know, I'll use with patients if we're having trouble with, with the reflux and they've tried a lot of other things. 
and nothing seems to really quite be working with them. I don't love the idea of supplementing with exogenous hormones if we don't have to, but if someone is having trouble with their reflux and they're also having sleep issues, then it tends to be one of the things that I'll try eventually with them. One other supplement also is hydrochloric acid. And Chris has talked about this in an article, so I'm actually just going to link to that. But what the theory is, is that some people with reflux actually have low stomach acid. And this causes sort of a chain reaction of issues that lead to reflux. And then by supplementing with the missing hydrochloric acid, we can actually, you know, help someone's reflux. So it seems a little bit backwards to give someone acid who supposedly has too much acid or acid in the wrong place. But sometimes this is actually really useful for patients. So I'll link to that so you can read a bit more about that process if you're wanting to try that. But I would start with the demulcent herbs definitely and see if that helps because I find that often that's, that's a really big help for people that are suffering from reflux. And actually, one more thing I want to mention about the demulcent herbs, you want to get those in powdered form. And the reason for this is because we want it to come in contact with the tissues that are irritated. So if you take it in pill form, that, you know, the licorice or the, the slippery elm, they're not going to come in contact with the throat, the esophagus. It's going to be broken down in the stomach, which not necessarily going to help us. Um, that can be useful if you have ulcers or something like that. But we want it to have contact with the throat, with the esophagus, and with the stomach all the way down. So make sure you get it as a powder or a chewable tablet. Um, in the case of DGL, you can get those chewable tablets. And if you get a powder, you want to just basically mix it with a little bit of water or you know something flavored if you need it. Because Slippery Elm, at least, is not, not my favorite flavor in the world. But um, you can mix it with a little bit of water and then just take it down as um, sort of a slurry type deal. So, lastly, it's also worth checking in on your gut flora. It's not hard to imagine that if there's dysbiosis, which is basically just unbalanced gut flora, or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or parasites, that this might be affecting your digestion. So you want to find out if there's anything going on in the gut and get treated for that as well. Because, you know, for example, SIBO, or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, is actually quite common in patients with reflux. And by getting rid of that overgrowth of bacteria, usually the reflux, you know, is much more controlled. And then we can just work on healing those damaged tissues that have been damaged by the acid coming up for, for a long period of time. So... That's a long way of saying, you know, giving you a few ways that you can, you can work on your LPR or if other listeners out there are suffering with any other type of reflux, hopefully you have some more ideas on what you can do to deal with that reflux because it's certainly not a fun condition to deal with and it usually takes a lot of experimenting to figure it all out. So I wish you the best of luck and I hope some of these tips have helped you. Sounds good. I think that melatonin recommendation is really interesting because it makes me wonder if adjusting your circadian rhythms and, you know, addressing your sleep, if you do have sleep trouble, I almost wonder if that would have a positive effect on, on reflux. Oh, I'm sure it would. Yeah, because, you know, if you're exposed to um, you know, artificial light all the time, yeah, you're not making a lot of melatonin. So, it, would, it wouldn't surprise me if just by, that's a really good point, Laura, just to um, work on your sleep habits and, you know, your artificial light exposure, that that might, that might significantly help with your reflux too. Right. And also getting in bed at a reasonable hour, unlike me. So. Right. <laughs> 
All right. Well, I guess was that everything you wanted to say? It was a very yeah, that's it. Very well answered question. So hopefully this will be helpful for the user that asked that question. And I guess that's all we have for the podcast today. I'm sorry about uh, the the voice issues, but hopefully that won't be a problem next time around. And we hope you enjoyed the show. And we would, of course, love any feedback you have on how we can make our podcast even better. And as a reminder, you can submit your nutrition-related questions through the link on Chris's website, and maybe we'll answer your question on the next show. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you around next time. All right. Take care, Laura. You too, Kelsey. 